Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm grateful that you could join me for this conversation today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today in this conversation, we're going to be talking about embracing celebration and how this can actually bring us hope in the midst of a time of our lives that can feel very hopeless, where there's much grief and loss and disappointment. I'm joined in this conversation by author and therapist Nicole Zasowski, and Nicole talks about how we can embrace celebration in our everyday lives, even in just the littlest ways that we can start to really grab a hold of joy. Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. One of the things that I have been trying to step closer to in this season is how to dream again and what that looks like when you know that you've had dreams dashed in the past, but that you would want to dare to believe that maybe God has something more for you in the future. Here is my conversation with Nicole Zasowski. Nicole, I'm so happy to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Nicole, when we have gone through significant brokenness, or maybe we're even in the midst of brokenness right now, being able to embrace what is good is difficult. And sometimes that can actually reveal maybe this greater hesitancy to celebrate in our lives. And that can be something that's really difficult to access. Why do you think it is that we are so afraid of joy? That's a question I've wrestled with over many years. Um, you know, when we go through something painful, whether it's more chronic over a long period of time or a, a significant painful event, there's the loss, whether that's actual loss, a betrayal, you know, the the painful event itself. And then there's the cost. Mm. Um, and the cost would be the impact to our sense of identity, who we are, uh, whether or not we're lovable, our value, or our sense of safety and security. Um, and when I went through my own season of challenge and change and loss, uh, it took me a while to recognize that one of the costs was that joy had become very scary. I was mm -hmm. sure that if I was brave enough to hold on to joy, that it would be ripped from my hands at any moment. Um, I was sure that celebration always came with a catch. And I started doing research on this. Uh, I knew my, I understood why my story would lead me to that place. But in my, in my research, both in the Bible and scripture and, and in the neuroscience research, I learned that this is actually a common thing, that, mm. that joy is actually the most vulnerable feeling that we feel because it's automatically accompanied by the possibility of loss and disappointment. Mm. Um, so there's this, there's this phenomenon that we, when we experience this intense um, moment of joy, whether it's 
you know, just looking at your child's smile and just thinking, I have never loved anyone so much. And, and then in that instant, you imagine what if something happens to them? Mm-hmm. I think every parent knows what that feels like yeah. at least on some level or, or on occasion. And so there's this intensely beautiful joy and then almost this shadow um, that, that can be hard to wrestle with. And when you've experienced a significant pain in the past, I think um, having the courage to celebrate and and fully step into that place can actually be pretty hard, even though on the surface, it, it sounds confusing as to why that would be um, a hesitation. Mm-hmm. I love that word courage you just used, because the fact of the matter is when we've experienced something like a significant loss and we've experienced brokenness, we have touched the edge of where light and dark really meet in this world, right? And being that close to the darkness, especially if we felt before, perhaps we perceived that we were safe, even if we were not. Perhaps we were in such a survival mode that we were just coasting along and just kind of had this sense that this is all there is. And even when that gets taken away from us, we just recognize how vulnerable we were the entire time. And to regain a sense of safety and security, there's all these things we have to confront that take courage, that take bravery, that in this season of my life, do it scared has has meant so many different things in so many different arenas. But the thing I have seen, and this is something that you point to in your new book, is that brokenness, though, actually has the ability to lead us into a deeper and a more authentic experience with celebration. Would you share more about that? Yes. Again, it it feels like how can brokenness be an avenue of so much joy and celebration? I think in a few ways, um, I know you, you'll agree with me on this. I am not a person who likes to draw silver linings on clouds that just need to be clouds. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not about turning, you know, calling something hard or painful or wrong somehow good. Um, but it is recognizing a, that we can invite God into the feelings we have instead of feeling like we need to have the perfect feelings for God or whoever Mm -hmm. else we might be talking to. Um, it, it also looks like recognizing that while a season and maybe we even can't even call it a season anymore because it just feels like we can't remember the last time we've experienced something different. Um, but while life might feel intensely painful and hard, it's recognizing that there are good things happening in our lives as well, that there's provision, that there's um, beauty, that there are good things growing from ground that felt really tough to walk over, um, that there's beautiful things happening inside of us because of the ground we've walked. Mm. Um, and, and just, you know, I find I'll speak for myself. And I talk about this in the book that when I have confronted pain, my celebration has not gone away, but it's, it's changed. Mm-hmm. It's leaned more toward the things that are eternal and sustaining, Um, And there's been a reordering of what I love and what matters. And that's a really beautiful thing. My celebration gets and and my joy gets reordered in a way that I'm not expecting more joy from a gift than it was meant to give. Mm. Um, And I find that too has been a struggle in different seasons of my life where I've realized a lot of my disappointment yeah, has come from the no or, or the, um, the hard thing itself. But a lot of my disappointment has been, oh, I expected more fulfillment or joy mm. from that gift than it was meant to give. Um, and it might be a really good thing. And it's not wrong to celebrate God's breakthrough in our lives or those happy moments when we're surprised by joy. He wants us to delight in those good gifts. but when we expect more fulfillment from them than they're able to offer, Mm. 
we will uh, find ourselves empty and confused at, at the far side of that. Yeah, there's a purification that happens that whatever we thought celebration looked like before, and sometimes we take credit, We or in the past, we may have taken credit that yes. I achieved this, I earned it, so I deserve it, so I can celebrate it, right? And that's something that, that you point to a little bit. And yeah. that's something we even see in the story of Job, and that's something that you end up highlighting as well. But the fact that in the beginning... Job has all of these great things and he's pointed to as a righteous person. So we have the ability to, Job has the ability to potentially say, look at all these great things my righteousness has have earned me. Or that we could say, for example, my accomplishments have earned me and those kinds of things that that is safe to celebrate because I had control over the entire thing. It's done. It can't be taken from me. But as Job goes through this journey of loss and he goes through this, as you talk about, you know, the ability to lament and bring it all before God. And here is really what I'm feeling that at the end of it, he is restored, but now he knows that the restoration is from the goodness of God, that what he has received is the favor of the Lord and nothing that he could have conjured up himself. And that is the thing that I see is holding these two experiences. It's the bitter and the sweet together. And where we would not have wished that the bitter was part of our story, it is the part that allows me to say, this is from the Lord. This is something I can receive safely because it's just given to me without merit. Yes. Yes. No, I resonate so much with what you're sharing. And in that story of Job, he says, you know, I know that my redeemer lives. His, mm -hmm. his hope is in understanding that what is dark today is not going to be dark forever. That, that joy is our inheritance because of Jesus and, and his spirit. Um, and, and I so resonate with what you, with what you share in terms of just that, that pain being an avenue of intimacy with God mm -hmm. and, and growth. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it is, again, it's, it's a thing that as we enter into brokenness that, you know, we are just not even aware that this is available to us, but he so gently takes us through. And it is in noticing though, and this is what God transformed my heart with was just in noticing those good things every day. And I'm talking about at the beginning, teeny, tiny, oh, <laughs> little bitty things oh, yeah. to celebrate, <laughs> right? But it makes it then that, that, that purification then is able to just be evidenced in these small ways that we can then eventually get out to the big, big picture and have the ability to even look at some of those harder parts of our stories and say, but you brought something good that this thing was not good, but you have, you are redeeming God who turns these things. But we, we have the ability and he's so careful with us to let us see it in the small, even in, as you said, like child smile or a favorite flower. I mean, just really tiny things that we can take delight in. But I think the thing, and I want to go back to something you said, though, you were talking about disappointment. And I think this is really critical for us to understand because I think our fear of disappointment is what stands in the way of us being able to access celebration. Yes. Yes. Uh, so pessimism and cynicism, I think are, are the most common trusted guards <laughs> against celebration, not, not trustworthy, but, but we try to rely on them. There's this idea that if I don't expect anything, or if I keep my expectations super low, I can only be surprised by joy and I'll be prepared for the disappointment. Mm -hmm. But the research is pretty clear. It doesn't really prepare us for any of the hard <laughs> feelings or, or disappointment when it comes. Um, we're not robots. We're still going to have painful feelings in reaction to a hard thing. Um, but what it does protect us from is a lot of delight. Hmm. Because our eyes are cast down, hypervigilant for what might be lurking around the corner, instead of just lifting our gaze to what is possible. And, and that fear, and this is brain research as, as well as a spiritual phenomenon, it really limits our vision. Hmm. And so all of a sudden, all we can see is the outcome that we fear most. 
instead of thinking, what could God do? And, and that's, um, you, you touched on this earlier, another barrier to our, our celebration is sometimes we're hesitant because we think, oh, I'm being egotistical or mm-hmm. I'm being selfish or I'm drawing attention to myself. You know, we don't know how to reconcile the invitation to celebrate with our value of humility. And what, I mean, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. What I recognized in my own life is that when I was hesitant to celebrate, it was actually a sign that I was making it about me and my mm. own effort and my own achievements because um, I assumed that the celebration was the fruit of my own grit instead of, like you said, the goodness of God. And so, you know, David's my favorite example of this in the Bible because his celebration is so exuberant mm. and and we don't know exactly how that's perceived and um, by the people watching him in that story of scripture, but, and, 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 you know, David is just so un, uninhibited because he knows he's been a recipient of grace and, and we sit in the privileged seat of knowing, you know, we have been the ultimate recipient of grace because of the cross. And why, why would we not celebrate exuberantly? Mm-hmm. Why would we allow pessimism or cynicism or shame or the commitment to be our own savior with our own goodness to prevent us from really the most natural uh, reaction to the goodness of God is, is exuberant celebration. And so uh, just expands our vision for look what God did. Look, what mm-hmm. could he do? And yeah, it, we're not promised an easy life. This, this is not a book about toxic positivity. No. <laughs> um, we, we don't, do that here. I know you don't either. Um, no, but uh, profoundly unhelpful. But it, but it does help us move through seasons of both joy and pain, mm-hmm. um, knowing that celebration is available to us, no matter what your story might be. And I know for me, some of the roots of some of those things that hyper vigilance is some of this orphan heart that I've had that really just has had a scarcity mentality around, okay, I have this good thing, but what if this is all there is? Like, I'm too, I don't want to get too excited about it because what if this is it? What if there's nothing beyond this? What if um, I'm making a bigger deal of it than it really is that maybe this is, you know, just a, a crumb when I'm, it, it's like, you know, I want right. to treat it like it's the whole cake, you know? Right. And so it's safer than if you have a scarcity mentality to kind of just even, uh, put yourself on a little bit of a diet with this kind of thing where it's like, well, I'm just going to snack on morsels of it, of celebration because, if this is all there is and I, I need to hold on to it. And, but then that really impacts, it impacts our relationships with other people and with God. We're not able to be fully engaged, fully present. And then we just are walking around dry because all we can see is the not enoughness. And God just wants to, to invite us. I feel so much more into the, the receiving because in that, then the receiving, there's the ability to give and that safe vulnerability. And that's where we gain authentic relationship and intimacy with him, but then with other people. And there's just such an interplay that happens though, but it is confronting that orphan heart to say, maybe you think this is even a personality trait. Maybe you think that your pessimism is, is realism. Maybe you think that this is actually something that is a badge of honor and really examining though, where is this coming from? And those are hard questions. Mm -hmm. No, I think a lot of what we love to call personality is actually reactivity. And so Mm -hmm. if you are listening and you notice these patterns in yourself, I would just gently, like you said, ask, ask yourself what might be, what pain might I be responding to and trying to protect myself from with this habit of pessimism and cynicism and even shame. On the flip side of this though, and you mentioned false positivity. (laughs) And so this is not though pleasure seeking. So think, let's talk about that as far as maybe we think this kind of inborn trait to just you know, go with the flow and everything is great, um, that that actually can, can be a hindrance as well. 
um, the, the model of therapy that I use is called restoration therapy. And it, it would argue that we human beings have four different ways that we tend to cope with pain, um, that are all understandable, but not very helpful (laughs) (laughs) moving us, helping us move through pain healthfully. So, uh, I'll just list them real quick, the blame, shame, control and escape. And so that pessimism and cynicism and that hypervigilance, keeping our expectations low, that's all fancy forms of control. Um, On the other end of that spectrum, we have escape Um, and that pleasure seeking. um, I'm just going to celebrate to numb or Mm. celebrate to ignore the hurt that I have going on because it's too much work or too painful to process, that would be a reaction, whereas celebration is, is an action. Um, and I'll be honest with you, there's, there's a world in which I might not be able to tell the difference if I'm just a fly on the wall in your life looking at the actions that you're taking. You know, a lot of these are, are socially acceptable things, mm-hmm. going shopping or watching Netflix. Um, but the, the purpose that it's serving in your life, the, the goal, um, will tell you a lot. If you're honest about that, will tell you a lot about what you're looking for. So am I, am I celebrating to, uh, be disciplined about looking for what is good, even in the midst of what is hard. Am I celebrating to celebrate the gift with the giver um, through thanksgiving in my prayers or thankfulness in my interpersonal relationships? Am I celebrating to savor the life that I have because a beautiful life is a beautiful life where I am mm-hmm. with God? Um, or am I feeling like I need to add something to my life in order to make it worthy? Um, Or am I doing this just to check out because I can't? Um, I, I, so a lot of it will be not the action itself, but the purpose it's serving. Um, And that's where we have to search our hearts and just say, what am I looking for when I'm doing this? Is this keeping me plugged in with my Mm -hmm. creator and with other people and with myself in my life? Or is it, um, assisting me in checking out in a, in an unhelpful and unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to embrace that pain, it gives our joy a kind of a defiance. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him, Mm -hmm. that there was this suffering, but there would then be this celebration that was in defiance of the brokenness. And I think that is so central to this experience of joy after brokenness. Mm -hmm. And that's what it really truly is to share in the suffering of Jesus is to also get to share in that defiant (laughs) celebration, that victory, right? Like we can't have a victorious celebration without a battle. Right. And if we're numbing, escaping, avoiding whatever the pain is, we also numb, escape the fullness of joy that lies just beyond the other side. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've grown up in the church my whole life, um, and and have had a, a strong and growing relationship with Jesus for for majority of my life, and I when I started thinking about this, I was amazed as I reflected that a lot of the narrative I had around the Bible and around the life of Jesus was very suffering focused. Like Jesus Mm -hmm. came to suffer on our behalf or Jesus. (laughs) And, and actually it sounds like semantics, but I think it's important no, Jesus didn't come to suffer. He he was willing to suffer in order to ultimately celebrate with us mm-hmm. and be united with us. Um, and and as I searched the scriptures, you know, both Jesus's life and the Bible are bookended by celebration. Mm-hmm. He rejoices over us as his creation. Um, and, and our brokenness in the Garden of Eden is best understood in the context of our belovedness. 
as his children when we were created. Um, and then Revelation is full of those victory stories and said, we will conquer by the testimony um, mm-hmm. of our victory and sharing those stories even now um, in, in the, the kingdom of heaven is here and being able to bear witness to one another's um, how God is moving in, in each other's lives and those victory stories in the context of community is so important. And then of course, Jesus's life, you know, the angels were rejoicing. His, his birth is full of celebration. Um, and you're absolutely right. His death was not the end of the story. He conquered and rose again. And, and of course the celebration that that means for us, um, is, is life changing quite literally. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and, and that's a verse that has just continued to pop up for me over and over in this season is revelation 12, 11. That is they yes. overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of of their testimony. And when I think about testimony, you think about in a court, you know, that you sit up there and you give a testimony, right? And it is what I have seen with my own eyes, what I have witnessed and what I have experienced. So yes, I overcome by the blood of the lamb. My testimony is how I've seen it happen in my own life. And it's how I am able though, to access hope for a future and an eternity that is marked by joy and an expectancy that though my past has some broken parts in it, it also has the eyewitness account of where God came in and rescued me, where God came in and covered me with his love, where he scooped me up and said, my child, you are mine, come with me. And when we get comfortable though, change telling our stories and get comfortable with sharing the broken parts, then we get to also start to access those little bits of good. As I talked about before, you know, just these little bits of, well, I think I saw God here and I I think he was here and, and really being able to identify though, how the enemy would like to keep us in a narrative of, well, you were disappointed before. So you're going to be disappointed again. And how the Lord would like us to look at our stories and say, I was there before and I will be there again. And that this moves us really, though, into expectancy. And I think that this is a big piece of truly (laughs) what it is to celebrate because expectancy is knowing that good can come without some of the control that perhaps we heap on top of these situations, as you mentioned, whether that's cynicism, pessimism, whatever our method of, of control is, that we're able to look towards the future with some hope that the Lord is there and he's doing something good, even if we don't get to control what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love um, reminding myself that expect an expectant heart celebrates without a guarantee Mm-hmm. Um, because it celebrates what's true outside of circumstance and what's true outside of a particular outcome. Um, there's two stories in the Bible that just contrast this so beautifully for me, because I used to think, uh, you know, I'd stand in circles and people would say, Lord, we're expectant, or I want, I want to have an expectant heart. And I thought, I, I don't know that I've used that word in a sentence. It sounds so demanding. I I wasn't really sure what. um, Yeah, it does sound kind of bossy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hands on hips and foot tapping and I'm expectant. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) um, the the two stories that really helped clarify it for me were, were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they said, you know, Lord, we know that you are able, uh, we know that you can, we, we trust your character. We trust your, your power and your omnipotence. Um, and they said, we believe that you will, we are, we are praying with belief that you are going to rescue us and that you're here, um, present with us in this situation. And even if the outcome looks different than what we hope, those beliefs and those um, knowings about who you are are still true. They still stand. Um, And then in contrast, there's a a different Herod than we typically talk about, but Herod Antipa, I think I'm pronouncing that right, 
Um, and he was so excited to meet Jesus because he had plans and he had an agenda and Jesus was the power to his plans. Um, Jesus was going to make it happen. And of course, Jesus did not cooperate with Herod's plans and Herod became very, very angry. Um, and, and spoke out against Jesus and, and, uh, Jesus was a, was different to him because he didn't cooperate with his own agenda. And, and I look, it's easy to look at that story with judgment and, and then remove yourself (laughs) from that story. But I recognize myself in my story, in that story, if I can be vulnerable and honest and share that, because I too, at times have treated Jesus as the power to my own plans. Like, Mm -hmm. Lord, can you just make this happen? And when there are joys sitting awkwardly in the wrong position in my heart, I think they can have, you know, I once heard a definition of an idol being something that has the power to change your thoughts or feelings about God, depending Mm. on the outcome. Mm. And I think that's expectation (laughs) and an expectant heart is where God is, um, his character is true to you. and he is sitting absolutely at the center of your affection, regardless of the outcome of what you're praying for. And I think he wants our desires to, he wants to us to make those known and, and to talk with him about those, but he, he should never be moved off center in terms of our, our affection. And so that was a clarifying, um, those were two clarifying stories in terms of what is the difference between having an expectant yeah. heart and, and expectations. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. I think it's so beautiful too when we think about our affections being really what is at the center of disappointments and mm-hmm. expectancy and these types of things because. A lot of times we're disappointed because we had an agenda or an outcome. And sometimes those things were not necessarily bad. Some of us wanted to be married the whole rest of our lives. Some of us didn't want to end up in the situations we find ourselves in. It's not bad to have wanted that. And And to understand that there will be disappointment though, that if that is not the the course of our story, that sometimes where that can go awry is that it has become the idol. It has become the thing that we wanted God to fix, or we wanted so much more than God himself. And he knows though, that his, our affections for him, that's, that's actually the best thing for us though, too. That's the safest place for us to be because we'll never be disappointed when we're always gazing specifically straight at him first and saying, I know you love me. I love you. I want my whole life to be characterized by this. So that where a healed marriage seems like a a very wonderful outcome, God wants to actually give us something so much more enduring, so much more long lasting. And it's not his intention to crush us. It's not his intention to say, well, I'm not going to give you that because I want you to to put your affections on me. Like that's, that's not the way that this goes, but that that truly is the safest place that we can be. And to be very blunt and honest, and I can say this about myself, our marriages in very many cases were not based on God. They were not God honoring. They were opposed to God and his design for marriage. And so for us to go through these things, while again, they were not the things that we wanted and they did yield disappointment. God has shown me over the course of my story that he had so much for me to receive that I could not receive in that context. And again, I only have the perspective of time 
and only have the perspective of healing by the grace and goodness of God to be able to say that. So somebody is listening to my voice and they're like, yeah, Michelle, okay, well, that sounds great, but this is pretty awful. I know. (laughs) I was there. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate hearing a snippet of your story too. And um, yeah, it's something that I come back to over and over again is that what sits at the center of my affection will determine the satiation of my joy. Mm And I think that's what you're getting at. I, I love that you put words to marriage is a beautiful gift from God. And um, it's not a bad thing to want and dream for the restoration of your relationship or uh, for your spouse to see the light in some area of growth that, that needs to happen. Um I, I do, and I agree, God is not the author of our suffering. Um, he doesn't write pain <laughs> into mm-hmm. our stories, but when it does happen, I think an inv- invitation that often accompanies hard things, I won't pretend to know every story, but often mm-hmm. accompanies hard things is um, to put him at the center of our affection, because you're right, even the most beautiful gifts he's given us in this life, marriage, children, mm-hmm. um, calling, um, if, if it's sitting awkwardly in the wrong place, uh, it will leave us disappointed mm-hmm. and, and really anything at the center other than Christ is, is the wrong, the wrong thing to be at the center. Yeah. You just said the word dream and mm-hmm. that really was something very hard for me to access at yes. actually I'll say for the first couple of years, oh. post divorce, it was like. Well, I had all these dreams and they're gone. Mm -hmm. So now what? And it almost seemed like, well, dreaming is somewhat pointless because it hasn't worked out. So I sort of backed away from any real envisioning for my future because it just didn't seem like it was something that I was supposed to do anymore. But one of my favorite quotes from your book is, (laughs) Gratitude gives us the freedom to dream. Yeah. Would you talk about why gratitude is so central for yeah. us in being able to dream again? Yes. For a couple of reasons. I I so, so relate to what you just shared. Dreaming was so scary for me for so long. And I think I'm still in process on that one. But um, I realized that transitions like a new year, especially because there's so much talk about dreams and goals and vision. And, Mm -hmm. um, and usually I was walking out of a season where my vision was, where the provision was completely different than the vision that I had walked into that season with. And so, um, a couple, a couple things come to mind when I hear you say that one is I used to put our, our celebration on the far side of, a goal achieved or a dream realized or some sort of change in my circumstances because I wanted celebration to just come naturally. I wanted to be surprised by joy. I wanted to have a reason to celebrate. And I was a little annoyed that that celebration had to be a practice and and a discipline too. Mm -hmm. It felt like there were enough of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I, I I totally get that. Uh, but I realized that there was no empowerment or, or agency in that perspective at all. Like I would just walk into a new season and be like, well, I hope I have a reason mm-hmm. to celebrate, to feel grateful or to be thankful. Um, and and hope became very scary. And so, but what I realized is that we don't hope because of what we receive. We hope because of who we receive mm. and God, we are promised his presence in both pain and joy. And that, that courage to dream often comes from reflecting on how he has been so faithful mm. in the past. And we can talk about the difference between gratitude and Thanksgiving in a minute, but um, I have a chapter in my book. It's it's on the importance of play, but as I reflect on it two years later, because you get time between when you write and when you release mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a book, 
And so I talk about the beginning of my family's um, practice of looking for sea glass. We live on the Long Island Sound. um, So there's lots of beaches to look for sea glass. And it started as a way to entertain my very energetic boys (laughs) during the pandemic when everything was closed. But it became my family's almost daily and I live in New England, so it's cold. And yeah. <laughs> we, we try to do this daily mm. if time allows and if daylight allows. Uh, hunt for sea glass. And now we have thousands of pieces in these color coordinated jars. And what became my daily digging for delight mm. is now God's fingerprints of faithfulness in my life. Mm. I look at a season that I think most of us, I know it's been different for everybody, but most of us have had a hard time in some way, shape or form the last couple of years. And I see how God has woven friendship and community and laughter into my family through this practice that I'm not sure we would have adopted otherwise. And so reflecting on his faithfulness in the past becomes our courage to celebrate in the present and dream Mm. as we look to the future. Um, Because we know his faithfulness is going to be there, even if it takes us a while to see it, like you said. Yeah. And they really are these mini celebrations. And as we attune our hearts to be grateful for what we can observe, then we start to see more of it. So what we were saying before, that if we are hypervigilant, then we're only going to see the things that point to a negative outcome because that's what we're looking for. Gratitude flips the script for us then that we are constantly looking for the fingerprints of his his faithfulness that we can just say, there you are, Mm -hmm. there you are, (laughs) there you are, you know, and it just is that sense then that okay, really, I'm not walking this alone. And that, that right there for me, especially in this, you know, single mom season, it's like, I really can't embrace, even when I feel lonely, I can really embrace like people lonely, like not a person around me, you know, but like that I really can't embrace what it is to know that I'm completely held and seen and cared for just in these little things that we observe. Now you mentioned that the difference between gratitude and Thanksgiving, would you fill us in there? Yes. And you, you touched on it just then with what you said. So uh, gratitude, we, we know, especially in the recent years is um, really the research has come out and said, this is greatly impacting in our joy. It, it, It makes a huge difference because what it does is it helps us notice and name. Mm-hmm. the delights in our lives that we might be tempted to skim past. So your brain, my brain, everyone's brain is very efficient. So it only likes to hold on to things that it thinks it absolutely needs or is super celebratory or super painful. Um, mm-hmm. But even then our brains are like Velcro with the painful stuff and Teflon with the joyful things. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few things working against us here, but What gratitude does is it helps us notice and name those things, and it greatly impacts our joy. What we don't often talk about is that thankfulness sort of takes us the rest of the way. Mm. So gratitude increases our joy, takes us about halfway down the road. Thankfulness is the expression of the gratitude that we feel. So the reason I love this, and I love that you shared the loneliness of being a single mom or or a single person, is it can be hard to understand how to celebrate in that place when when it doesn't always feel like there's an opportunity to share it. Thankfulness allows us to share the gift with the giver. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite ways of incorporating celebration into the life that I have, and again, nothing has to change in order for this to be possible is incorporating Thanksgiving into my conversations with God. And of course, other people too. Um, But when I can say, you know, not only do I feel grateful, but thank you, Lord, um, for this Mm -hmm. gift. It's a way of cultivating that intimate relationship with God in the light of our joy. Often I think, 
we picture him sort of walking us over the uneven ground of our pain. And then when we get to ground that's soft underfoot and celebratory, we sort of picture him saying, okay, have fun. Let me know when you need me again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But whether we're still in the midst of our pain or when we feel like we're entering a season that's more characterized by good news and breakthrough and joy, just being able to say, here's how I can interact with God and share this gift. Um, And certainly this is true for interpersonal relationships too. So if you have a friend that you feel really grateful for, it will throw gasoline on your joy um, and just explode it 10 times over. If you're able to say, here's the difference your presence in my life makes to me. Mm. Here are all the ways that knowing you has changed the way I think and feel and act and relate to other people. And I am so grateful that God allowed our paths to cross. Not only will it expand your joy, but certainly offer joy to the person who's receiving Mm -hmm. that as well and, and just build connection between the two of you. So um, that's one of my favorite practices that we don't talk about as often as gratitude. And I'm not knocking gratitude because that's yeah. definitely a helpful, <laughs> helpful practice to notice and name. But if there's opportunity to share it, I think um, that will just, like I said, ignite your joy that much more. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And what you just highlighted there is actually central to my ability to walk through loneliness because I noticed my tendency that when something good would happen, I'm like, who can I share this with? Who can I tell? Who can I talk to? And then there's this sense of like, oh, well, that person's not going to care. Well, that person's busy or, you know, like I picked that person last time, (laughs) you know, all of these things where you feel that the ability to share is not accessible or sometimes, and this is what the Lord revealed to me. Sometimes things would be so exciting for me, but only I know why that for me to have to explain to somebody, well, and then this happened and this happened. It's important because of this, like they won't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Lord revealed to me, like, those are the ones I want you to bring right back to me Mm -hmm. because I did that for you. Because I know that matters to you. And so that where loneliness so often is externally focused, where it's like, well, where can I get, you know, connected that the Lord's like, it's already here. And we can't minimize though, these little wonderful things that happen like, oh, well, that was just this, or, you know, explain them away. Or, you know, that was just a coincidence. Like (laughs) nothing is accidental (laughs) in the kingdom of God. (laughs) No, it's the avenue that we've been given to celebrate with God Mm -hmm. is Thanksgiving. And um, I really realized how much I was missing out on that when Mm -hmm. I, when I started diving into that. Um, I think uh, I often think of the story with the 10 lepers who are healed. Um, And I go into detail in in my book, if you're curious to dive deeper, but when only one returns to, to thank Jesus, even though we can assume that all 10 felt really grateful because of what that would have meant to them, Um, not only in their physical healing, but just being able to connect in society again and with their Mm -hmm. loved ones. But when only one return, Jesus said, well, we're in all 10 healed. And it's kind of a funny response. And and it's more than just a a bid for our praise. Um, I think Jesus is quite fine (laughs) either way. Um, But it's just such a missed opportunity to celebrate the gift with the giver of all gifts. Like you Mm -hmm. said, Mm -hmm. the one that moved in our lives. Yes. And to go back to that word, courage. Mm-hmm. This is where faith arises yeah. in recognizing his goodness and his faithfulness and speaking it back to him in worship. Yes, yes absolutely. Nicole, I really appreciate just the way that you've been able to tie all of these things together, our brokenness, but how we could still access mm-hmm. gratitude and thanksgiving that leads to hope and celebration and joy. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Um, ah, I'm going to get a little teary. <laughs> You're my hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
That's, that's one thing I, I have so much, it's not my story. Um, I have a different story, but I have so much respect and admiration, um, for the journey. Even if you feel like, oh gosh, I'm just messing this up or I don't really know, um, if I'm getting it right. I, you are just killing it, Mm. (laughs) um, being in the position that you're in and, I know it's hard. Again, I've, I've walked similar but different ground. And so I won't pretend to know all the ways that it's been hard. But I, w- I would want you to know you're not alone and that celebration, you are not disqualified from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hope and pray my book is a part of encouraging you in, in that message. But you're my hero is really what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I receive all of that. Thank you so much. That feels so good. <laughs> Would you tell listeners about your new book and how they can follow you? Yes. Um, I love hearing from listeners and readers. So please reach out. I try to respond to, to everything. I'm sure I don't do that perfectly, but I really love hearing from you. Uh, so my website's a great place. Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E-Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And the social media platform I hang out the most on is Instagram, uh, but certainly on Facebook as well. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski there as well. Mm -hmm. And the book is called? What If It's Wonderful? You can buy it anywhere you like to buy books. Of course, it's on Amazon or your local bookstore can grab it for you if if that's where you prefer to buy it as well. Yep. And I will include links in the show notes so that the listeners can find you and the book um, very easily. But I just want to thank you so much for spending time with me today, Nicole. Oh, thanks for this conversation. It was a special one. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also like episode 94, Encountering God, Experiencing the Nearness of God in Your Brokenness with Kelly Minter. You may also want to check out episode 84, Wrestling with the Word, Finding Faith When Life Falls Apart with Trisha Lott Williford. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.